That's okay. right below my note that says Niagara. <laughs> Murdoch Maniacs. No, 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 no. We're, we're mystery, mystery maniacs. maniacs. But we're covering Murdoch today. Yes, season one. Mystery Maniacs is a comedy recap podcast dedicated to mystery TV. Every week we dig up an episode of the show, including the murders, the mayhem, and the loonies, and everything else we love. This week, Murdoch Mysteries Power. Season one, episode one. Yes. Welcome new people. Yes. Welcome new people, especially people from the Murdoch Mysteries Appreciation Society on Facebook. Woo! You are our people. You are all welcome. I'm Mark. I'm Sarah. You may not know this, but as Mystery Maniacs, we have covered many different shows, some just a couple of episodes, but we started as Midsummer Maniacs, right? And we covered all of Midsummer. (laughs) If you haven't listened to us in Midsummer together, you're in for a treat. Yes, that's right. You should go back. If you're a new listener, you should go back. If you are an old school maniac. Welcome back. Well, yeah. We love you guys. We're excited to have you too. Just to note, this is a spoiler podcast. If you have not seen season one, episode one of Murdoch Mysteries, we're about to ruin it for you. Now, we will try not to ruin future episodes of Murdoch as we cover this one, right? And certainly not future seasons. That's what I mean. So if you've not watched all of Murdoch, we're going to try not to give anything away that happens in the future so that those can be surprises for you as you experience Murdoch for the first time. Absolutely. You and I have seen it Seven, eight times at and least. And we saw so many new things. I know. <laughs> when we first decided to talk about Murdoch, I'm like, do I really need to rewatch that one? I mean, it's been a long time since we watched season one. Yeah, I should probably rewatch it. And I just kept pausing it going, wait, 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 wait. What just happened? What did I just see in the background? What was that? How did I miss that? Yet this episode also does a fantastic job of setting everything up. Yes. And I mean everything. Yes. <laughs> If you and the people who might listen with you can handle an episode of Murdoch Mysteries and all of its insanity, then you can handle this podcast. We do our very best not to curse more than the show we're covering or get grosser than the show we're covering. We may say bugalugs. There's no friggin' or jiggin'. <laughs> I'm not saying that we're perfect, but we do our very best. So you don't have to worry about sensitive ears. They might not understand what we're talking about, but they're yep. not going to pick up any. Well, they might pick up bad habits from us. Like, yes. hey, nice corpse. <laughs> <laughs> couple of updates. First of all, uh, so, uh, one of our listeners, uh, we love our listeners, carved our logo out of ice. <laughs> I could not believe it when you showed it to me. Yes. I was like, oh, what? Yep. Jesse uh, from Minnesota carved our logo in ice at an ice carving competition. Not only that, it was her first time carving ice. Yes. And she chose our logo, our teacup and the bag and the little logo on the bag label and everything. And it looks fantastic. And we posted pictures on all of our social media. You rock. Yeah. That's so fun. Absolutely. Secondly, we once again want to welcome any new listeners. We posted to new Facebook groups, including the Murder 
Murdoch Mysteries Appreciation Society. Plus, we posted on the Reddit Murdoch group. Mm -hmm. So if you're a new listener, welcome. And you're in for a ride. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Welcome to the Maniac Train. Yes. It gets kind of crazy here. Uh, Finally, I wanted to talk about a a listener that reached out to us from Turkey uh, because of the the horrible uh, events that have been happening in Turkey and Syria, both and Syria, yeah, the both, earthquakes uh, with the earthquakes. And she is fine and her family is fine. But uh, she asked me to post some charities on, on our social media, which I reposted for her after I checked. We also have another friend who's Turkish mm-hmm. and he agreed that those were great charities. So yeah. we're just thinking about you people in Turkey. Yep. And, and uh, this, has, this and episode is for you guys. Everywhere. Yeah. Just oh, every day I feel so lucky. Yeah. Oh, boy, we're lucky. Hopefully we can make you laugh wherever you are a little bit. Maybe we can be a little break. Maybe. I'll tell you what we are. We are talking about Murdoch. Power. So Murdoch, like Midsummer, started off as a book series mm-hmm. by a woman named Maureen Jennings. Mm-hmm. Who's still in the credits. She is cha-ching in this. Yeah, she wrote a handful of books and and now she can just sit back, right? (laughs) (laughs) Because there are 15 seasons of this show that have been shown in the U.S. and 16 in Canada. Yeah, yeah. Not 16 additional. No. One extra in Canada. They just... It's released in Canada and not everywhere else. And this yet. is a Canadian show. And for new listeners, Sarah, we're in Bloomington, Indiana. Mm-hmm. Sarah is American and I am Canadian. Yeah. I basically lived in downtown Toronto for six years in this area. Yeah. So when they say Shooter Street Power Station, I'm like, hmm, where on Shooter Street would have been that yes. power station? <laughs> I've been on that corner before. Yes. Yes. So if you're new to Murdoch, or if you're not, <laughs> there's a little bit of craziness in Murdoch, which is why we like it, right? Yeah. You you sort of have to suspend reality every once in a while. That's okay. Yep. That's always the case in cozy kind of mysteries, which is, you know, our milieu. It's what yep. we love. So before we dig into this episode specifically, I went back and tried to find reviews from the time that this first episode aired to see what people thought of it right off the bat. So this is one of the things we do. We research into things that you, while you're watching the episode, sometimes say, hmm, I wonder if that's real or I wonder about that. We do the digging for you. Yes. So you don't have to. (laughs) Sometimes it leads us into very strange Google searches. On the most part, the reviews were very positive. A lot of them mentioned the movies, the made-for-TV movies that were released first. Um, feel free to go and watch them if you want to, but they are completely different. They have a very different tone and a different Murdoch. They're much darker. They're much more serious. They don't have the whimsy and the wit and the funniness that the show has. Yes. They're they're fine. They're just not the same, right? But this one review, the author's name is Vinay Menon from the Toronto Star. Okay. Put a real Toronto paper as opposed to the Toronto Gazette. Yes, in in the show. This author put their finger right on Murdoch. One episode nice. is all it took. Nice. And nailed it 
down. Okay. Okay. So what did they say? So if you're new to Murdoch, uh, everything that's pointed out in this review is what you are in for. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and if you're not, you're going to go, yep, yep. Okay. <laughs> so this is specifically a review of this first episode, Power. Okay. You ready? Yep. I'm kind of starting in the middle of the review here. Admittedly, I'm not familiar with the novels from which the character is adapted. So maybe Murdoch is supposed to be an accidental detective. Maybe he's supposed to ask pointless questions. Maybe he's supposed to strike ponderous poses and pace slowly, not doing much of anything. This would certainly explain why others forge ahead with tonight's detective work. <laughs> Who decides to, to first question Edna? George. Yeah. Who determines the pr- precise method of switchbox tampering? Tesla. Who determines Pratt could not have children? Dr. Ogden. Who checks stock prices? Inspector Brackenreed. Follow the money. Solve a murder? I'm not sure Detective Murdoch could solve a crossword puzzle. <laughs> Another oddity, the historical accuracy. Light bulbs glowing spontaneously in high-frequency fields. The routing of a voice signal from a remote box to a landline. Is Murdoch mystery set in the past or future? Mm-hmm. In one scene, Tesla says... Please tell Mr. Fox from me that if I had wanted to disrupt this silly demonstration, I could have fired a million volt pulse at his generator, thereby disabling it. Captain Picard, is that you hiding in Tesla's body? (laughs) Is that why his accent keeps toggling between Serbian and Etobicoian? I said it. Oh, Etobicoian. Now, to be fair, this is not a terrible show. It could appeal to, say, viewers with niche interests. For example, fans of Victoria era era romantic subplots with a hint of screwball comedy might enjoy George's wooing of Edna. Yes. Fans of real Nikola Tesla might enjoy seeing a pop culture portrayal that doesn't seize upon the man's legendary eccentricities. And fans of distractingly cockamamie props are encouraged to not miss tonight's closing scenes. (laughs) Yeah. Here's an excerpt. Dodd, what's this? Fox, my new suitcase. Dodd, very stylish. Fox, not very, but surprisingly practical. Surprisingly practical, it weighs 35 pounds and has a giant looping antenna sticking out of it. I have dubbed this box Chekhov's Rabbit Ears. (laughs) You see, this is the real mystery here. Why can't you watch this show without screaming at the television? End of review. I think they love it. I think they love it too. But, like, yes, Everybody does something to contribute to solving the murder, and sometimes Murdoch doesn't do a lot of it, but he's the one who kind of like puts it has all a together. little brainstorm and pulls yep. it together, right? And and yes, there's some things that are anachronistic. There's the signature oh like wink to the audience where they almost invent something from the future, but don't. Yes. You know. But if you like Murdoch, you don't care about any of that you stuff. You love all or that you stuff. Love all it's that so stuff. charming. Yeah, it's really fun. It is extremely charming. So I just I just thought that it was funny that he, was he supposed to strike a ponderous pose and pace slowly? <laughs> Not doing much of anything? Yes, that is what Murdoch is supposed to yes. do sometimes. But by and large, this first episode is quintessentially Murdoch. There's some things that get improved in terms of production value and stuff as we go forward in seasons. They didn't have a great big budget for this first season, and you can sort of tell it in places, but I don't think it hurts it at all. No. Except I kind of want to just go back up. Can you just back up? Oh, we'll get from there. From everybody. We'll just get there. Back up a little bit. <laughs> Otherwise, it's perfect. This was originally broadcast on City TV, which at this point in time is an is an independent television uh, station in Toronto. It's a different thing now. Yeah. 
I am of the city TV of midnight movies and uh, Mark Daly and all the great stuff from the 80s and 90s. So I love city TV, but I know it's changed. Mm -hmm. It was originally broadcast on the 20th of January 2008, which seems like a million years ago. And it was directed by Farhad Mann and written by R.B. Carney. Mm-hmm. Now, Farhad Mann is our first rabbit hole. Okay. Because he also directed a life-changing television show for me. Uh-huh. He directed the first episode of Max Headroom. Wow. How different is that? So Matt Frewer's Max Headroom is... That's like in the future, and this is so... This is in the 1890s. It is... A very, st- if you don't know about Max Headroom, go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> if you don't know about Matt Frewer, go down what that rabbit hole. What year is Max Headroom set in? Do you remember? No, I don't off the top of my head. I don't think head. it's too far away from I where we are now. I don't which think is it's scary. too far away from where. Yeah. But uh, Sarah made a lovely image that I'll post with this episode <laughs> of, of Murdoch kind of Dressed Max up as, Headroom. as Max Headroom. Yes, yes absolutely. So there, there is a crossover there. I was kind of stunned. You, you can't think of two more different shows. He's done a lot of work. He's a very busy dude. He likes television directing. So he, yeah. And he does a great job. Well, they did a good job here. Yeah, absolutely. So we have our cold opening, which is sort of television speak for the stuff before the credits. Even though the credits start this episode, they're steampunky. They are not. Boom, 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 not, boom, boom, boom. It, it's subtle steampunky. I yeah. like it. I love the theme. I do love the theme. And they keep it. They do. It never changes. Yep. And I don't know about that. I think it changed at some point. Well, it, it's a Berenstein Bear thing with me. It's I, the same song. Yes. They might re-record it. Yeah. You're a music guy. You might pick up on that. The rest of us are like, it's the same song. And right off the bat, the very first thing you see <laughs> is something that I've never seen before in this episode. That you never noticed. Yeah, I never noticed it. There's a guy juggling thunderbolts. <laughs> Lightning bolts. Thunderbolts yes, don't make it. That's any. true. <laughs> Lightning bolts. Yeah, because it's one of these, oh, alternating current is evil, direct current is better exhibitions, which really did happen. They really did electrocute animals, unfortunately, and trying to demonstrate that alternating current was dangerous. And we're at this exhibition, and of course, they've got some uh, warm-up acts, and one of them is a juggler, and he's juggling lightning bolts. Yes. Little plastic, metal, wood, I don't know what they are, lightning bolts, which would be kind of hard to juggle, I think, because they're... Like pointy. And they're off balance. There's but no, he does like, a great job. Yeah, he does. <laughs> and man, there is no like first episode exposition nope. warming you up on who characters are. It's just like, here's Murdoch and Julia. Boom. Well, before that, there. how many people do you think are actually there? Oh, like 20? There is a crowd shot. I looked very close. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> this is what we do, people. Yep. We pause. We we zoom. We take screenshots. Mark reads every bit of text on every newspaper and flyer yep. and finds the weirdest stuff that you and I would never, ever notice. I think this is the first CGI in Murdoch. Murdoch, really, if well, you watch the- Well, it would the, be because it's the first episode if, of Murdoch. If you honey. watch the entire series of Murdoch, it's really the history of CGI because it's oh, yeah. gotten better. Yeah. As a, but there's a woman in the crowd that has a white umbrella and there's three versions of her. <laughs> so I think. You think she's I, not real? I think, I think they may have doubled a couple of people. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. And 
William Murdoch is on the make right away. Oh, yeah. He's like, I brought a picnic basket. (laughs) A picnic basket (laughs) on his bicycle. He seems to be a little more forward in this episode at the beginning than he is maybe later on. Yeah, his character is. So one of the things I looked into was all those things about AC and DC current, but I was interested in the media around that. And I found this picture that I'm going to, I'll post it on the show notes. And also I make a reel of all the pictures that we have. So if you follow our social media, you can see these pictures or just email me, I'll send you the picture. But it is a a alternating current, anti-alternating current sign. Mm -hmm. And it has a light bulb spider with a skull for a head and a light bulb as a body. That's terrifying. With thousands of legs all over. It has a cowboy wrapped up in the wires. There's a dead horse in the background. It's Ah! killing a mom. Uh, A cop is running away. This is a disturbing image of of electricity. And if that's all you knew about alternating current, you would certainly not want it in your house. But that that spider. Do you want death electric spider in your home? With the electric light body and the skull head is really disturbing. And that's all Edison, right? Yeah. Because that's a big PR push from Edison trying to... To, you know, to uh, promote direct current, which was his thing where he was making all of his money and all this stuff. It's it it's a really it's a it's a fascinating time in history. If you want to know more about it, there's tons of stuff out there about yep. it. I um, will point out but this is a little snapshot of the debate that was going on. I will point out this is a Canadian show. So immediately, if you're American, you're sus right away. <laughs> Sorry. It's just a Canadian Oh, thing. those Americans, they're... Yep, sus, right yeah, away. They're conniving and yep. sneaky and money-hungry. And, and if you're an American watching the show, you if you can't get over that, <laughs> <laughs> this is not going to be a we fun are, show. We are always baddies in, in Murdoch, but yep. that's okay. Yep. That's okay. So the Toronto Electric Light Company actually was created in 1882, so there was an actual light company like that. And one of the characters we're introduced to right away is Miss Toronto Electric Light Company. I don't believe there was ever such a person. Well, and she's just the the guy who runs its secretary, yes. right? I don't think there was actually a competition. There wasn't a pageant t- to choose her. I think they just picked her. Immediately, we're right into it, though, because Miss Toronto Light and Power does not make it. No. I mean, they're going to electrocute a dog. Yep. Right? So, of course, we get Edna. Edna With her shows fancy up. signs. Did you see how fancy their signs are? Their signs are a little bit too nice as yeah, far as I'm I concerned. So. They're very uniform. Yep. But but she's there to, to try to save the dog. Uh, they put the dog in a cage, and they're supposed to pass current through it. Why do they make Miss Power and Light flip the switch? It seems a cruel thing to do. Here, Beauty pageant lady, you kill the dog in front of all these people. <laughs> oh, what an honor. Thanks. It, well, no, I wouldn't want to do well, that. Well, we, we know later on why it happens. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's definitely. it's It doesn't seem like much of an honor. No. Like, then cradle the dead dog in front of the crowd, you yeah. know, give it a little kiss. I mean, like, it's, it's just, just, it's a bad idea. It's a bad idea. And <laughs> what they do really well here is not hurt the dog in any way. Right. So you get a tone for the show right away. Yeah. You know that 
super bad things don't happen to yeah. people. The people so, you care about. Toronto Humane Society existed at this point. It was mm-hmm. started by a journalist. It's it's an actual thing. These people would have actually been there and been real and would have protested this. Yes. Then our boss shows up. Bracken Reed. Bracken Reed. Yeah. So then Bracken Reed shows up and again just thunders into the scene like there's no here comes our boss inspector nope. Brackenreed. it's nope. just here he is being Brackenreed. yep and that's who he is all the time so he's, he's awesome. british yes sheffield so, so now for shorthand for canadian shows british people are slightly poncy and full of themselves and not boisterous. not better than us canadians whether yes, they think they not are better or not, than us right? canadians okay yep but but he's very down to earth so he's all right and this is really the first example of the close shooting <laughs> they just just back up a foot or so like we don't need to see in yannick's ear yeah. You don't need to see in Murdoch's ear. Well, I think I think we can forgive them. I think they were trying to figure all of this out. Mm-hmm. And it's very tough to show to film a show in modern day that is so far in the past. Yes. Without accidentally having something in the background, right? So should we assume, you know more about filming than I do, should we assume that the reason why some of the scenes are very closely shot is because the sets just aren't quite as good as they'd like them to be, so they're or, trying to just focus on the actors? Or they they want to focus on the actors and they don't want to, like, maybe the sets are not finished or complete or dressed mm-hmm. in a way that they like. But, but like, at least back up and enough to see the top of the actor's head <laughs> it's so close it reminded there's a movie called son of saul which is very disturbing depressing movie about the holocaust <laughs> which is shot like this where it works perfectly yeah because it's done for a purpose but it's here done. you just want to keep going can you just can back you, up can you back up just back up back up a little bit so we get to see the police station Yes, Which is jam-packed of no-spitting signs. Yes, there are a lot of no-spitting signs. And there are a lot of notes handed to them. Yeah, the desk sergeant is constantly giving them notes. I would have so written goofs on those notes to make the actors laugh. What would you have written on them? Oh, all sorts of things like, Julia loves you, or I think do I, you like Julia X, yes or no? I think <laughs> I would have written either... Your fly's undone, or you got something in your nose. Friggin' a jiggin'. <laughs> <laughs> Did you notice, you really notice it here, because you don't see Bracken Reed's office, but, ju- but Murdoch has a giant office. Yeah, he does. And it is so messy in this episode. Later on, he cleans it up. and he, I, He's much tidier we, later. We gotta warn you, I'm a little messy-phobic about yeah. certain things, but that office is dangerously messy yes there's like things hooked up to batteries and stuff that are just laying around i love the the overall design of the police station through the whole the whole series i mean it's just good they do they they have enough glass that you can kind of see the hustle and bustle in the back and yet murdoch has this awesome office where he's like i guess he just spends his free time when there are no crimes inventing things and tinkering with things for no reason extra time i guess never goes home i don't know of course Time is weird in this episode. Yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to be Debbie Downer, but there there is some weirdness in the nighttime part of this well, episode. And like any cozy, they don't they don't worry about details of how things are done. It's just like that happened, and here's the result. Yeah. And I'm grateful for that. I'm just yeah. like move it along, move it along. You know. I asked George to talk 
to the people at the Shooter Street Station. Mm-hmm. Uh, I couldn't find an example of the Shooter Street Station, which is unfortunate, but I did find out this incredibly weird, interesting thing. The Toronto p- Toronto's uh, high power system was uh, purchased by the government in the 30s. Mm-hmm. Like it was part of a nationalization of a uh, provincialization of all the right. utilities. And they, what they did in the early years of Toronto, this is like 30s, 40s, and 50s, is they would have power stations and have houses in front of them. Mm-hmm. To hide them. To hide them. And there's some really good pictures that I have uh, that I'll post on our, our show notes of like the front of the house and then it shows the back of the house with this giant power station in the house. Well, and you have to remember when they were using direct current, one of the downsides of direct current was they had to have a power station like every quarter mile. Yeah. That's one of the reasons why it was impractical. So they had to knock down buildings to put power stations in and people got upset about it. So then you had to at least disguise it as something, right? Until you get DC, you get um, ACDC current, you get alternating current and then you can you can send electricity much much yep. further so you don't need that all the time. Yep. So we get to go next we get Murdoch volunteers, you know, of course, to go to Tesla's workshop. Cuz he knows Tesla on site. Cuz Tesla shows up. Yep. Just a little side note about Tesla, he wears gloves throughout the whole episode and Nikola Tesla actually did that because he contracted TB when he was younger He's a germaphobe. and then became yep. kind of a germaphobe and so he wore the gloves. Like that review, it does a really good job of characterizing Tesla as an interesting, practical, pragmatic person. Yeah. That isn't crazy. Who's or, a little quirky, but only quirky, because but he's so crazy. smart and excited yeah. about stuff. He's he's very excited about things. I just out of curiosity checked. Tesla was in Canada around this time. He immigrated to the United States in 1884 and hooked up with Westinghouse pretty much immediately and started working on the first hydroelectric generator. And then, of course, was working at Niagara. So for our American listeners who don't know the geography here, Niagara is about 90 miles, 80 to 90 miles away from Toronto. Mm -hmm. So at this point in time, a train would have gone maximum 45 miles an hour. So they would have taken about two hours to get to to Niagara and back, which is totally doable by train at this time. I have in my notes, I am a moron. Oh, okay. Why? Why? And then the word... Niagara spelled out in about 25 point font because as long as I have lived, I didn't know that there was an extra syllable in Niagara. What did you think it was? It's Niagara. No. It's Niagara. Gara. Yeah, it's Niagara. Americans say Niagara. It's G R A at the end, not G A R A. Niagara. We have visited the falls. I've been there and I didn't notice. It was Niagara. Uh, Do yourself a favor and look up that uh, power station. It's gorgeous. It's incredible. Yeah. Absolutely but gorgeous. I've just been I've been saying Niagara my whole life. Yeah. And then I went to look it up and it said, Do you mean Niagara? And I'm like, hmm. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and then I realized, uh, I guess I've been saying it wrong my whole life. And and test oh. so we get the really close up, like back up a little bit, camera thing. And then 
Anytime we're in Tesla's workshop, we got to be spinning. We're spinning. Around get, and around and, and around. around and around. Like so much so that watching it this time, I almost felt a little sick. Like, it's, it's can not, you just stop going around and around? Not this first time in the lab, but the second and third time, it's like oh. you're on a tilt-a-whirl. They've, it's, they've put a track around yep. it, around this little arena that, that Tesla has built. And the cameraman is just jogging, jogging, jogging with the camera, jogging, jogging around that track the yes. whole time. Like, stop. And the characters are moving in different ways, too. And it it gets a little. But did you notice in the station that there is a duck-faced hand tapper? (laughs) Only because you showed him to me. (laughs) So on the desk. We're obsessed with background artists or extras. On the desk, when George and uh, Murdoch are talking way too close, George goes around and Murdoch go around behind the front desk and they pass this guy who's a short guy. He's an impatient little man. And he's tapping his fingers on the side of the, on the top of the desk. And boy, does he have a duck face. Yes. He's got the big lips he's, and the duck face. He's a little disgruntled man and he wants some attention from somebody around here. Nobody's paying attention to me. George, are you sweet on this girl? Okay, we're going to give you a spoiler here. Through the entirety of this series, if anyone asks George if you're sweet on this girl, the answer is yes. Yes. If George meets a girl, he's sweet on her. By the way, I love George so much. Speaking of sweet, I love how starstruck Murdoch is for Tesla. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yannick Bassan has these eyelashes. Yeah. You know, he's. I, I wish I had his eyelashes. And he uses them to full effect with these little blink, blink, blink. Oh, Nikola Tesla. Blink, 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 yep. blink. <laughs> And that's just, that's a Murdoch thing of, I've just met one of my heroes. Blink, 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 blink. Yep. I'm going to be starstruck. He has nerd crushes on all kinds of people. Yes, he does. Tesla's his first one. Do you know what this episode needs? Mm. An incredibly fast zoom on a goldfish. Oh my gosh. The coroner's office is another amazing set. Yeah. The, the white it's, tile. It's beautiful. The, the, the way that you step down into it. Yep. And Julia's office is up above it with the windows. I love it. I love how it's designed. It's great. At least in this scene, she's there in the daytime. So a lot of times it's night. Um, so I noticed how little Julia is in this episode. Yeah. Now, if you watch the movies, the... Actress Helene Joy. Helene Joy is in those movies, but she does not play Julia. Right. She plays a prostitute, a really rough, no, no. She plays a really rich woman. Oh, that's right. That's right. I'm getting it confused. Yeah. yeah. And but I love Julia. She's fantastic, and I love how she is unabashedly gross and interesting, and like is like pulling guts out and blood and all. Oh my gosh, that's. One of the things that just drives home that this is set in the 1890s, they don't have any rubber gloves. No. And she wears these like white blouses and wears this apron and like there's just blood everywhere. Like, ah! But it's That's never the gross. Way that it, no, it's but never, it's never, it's never gory. It's just factual, you yeah. know, that as a coroner, she would have had to, you know, uh, look at bodies very closely and do autopsies and they didn't know a lot about germs yet and they didn't have the rubber gloves yet and yep. it's just like woman go wash your hands again now 
Would you think that a woman could be coroner in Toronto at this time? Julia is supposed to be the exception. She's yeah. the she's the at the forefront of women in medicine in Canada. Yes. And, and and that's a, a plot that we you know, see in other episodes later. I, I think, and I don't know this for sure, but I think in the original books, the inspiration for Julia comes from an actual doctor, a real woman. Her name was Emily Howard Stowe. Do you know about her? No, I don't. Uh, so she was born in 1830. She's the first woman to graduate from medical school in Canada. Okay. Um, so she's the first practicing doctor in Canada. But she also and this is relevant to later seasons, was the founder of the Canadian women's suffrage movement. Oh, excellent. And again, relevant later on, she was tried for performing an abortion in the 1870s in Canada. And that was a really like watershed trial too. So I th- I think Julia is loosely based on Emily Howard Stowe. I think that... Who's a... Uh, an amazing woman. Certainly she would have known about her. Yes, yeah. yes, agreed. My notes also say, Super Goldfish Zoom! <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because I have confirmed that at this time, just up the road from us, was the largest goldfish farm in the United States. So that goldfish may have come. In, in, in the 1890s, it may have come from a goldfish farm that is just up the road nice. from us in Indiana, which fantastic. is wacky, wacky, wacky. Absolutely fantastic. So Julia says that Alice, the pageant queen who was electrocuted, was five weeks pregnant. So now we've got a twist. Yes. Who's the father? Who's because the that fa- is a big motive, right? I'm British, so I'm going to do a Guy Fox joke. Ha 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 ha. Yeah. <laughs> Alice wasn't shy. Clearly not. Yeah. There's some, uh, how George and his girlfriend interact is a little bit anachronistic here. Oh, oh my gosh. Him going into her room after dark? Yeah. They're married now. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> like, congratulations, you're married. Can we talk about Pratt? Okay, so Pratt is... The guy who runs the electric company. And who how Miss Howard was having an affair with. Now, we've said many times about Midsummer that there is a small group of actors in England. <laughs> yes. Because there are many reoccurring actors who playing different characters different in characters. different episodes. We will see this particular actor in the future. Yes. He's uh Pratt's thing is he's eating oranges all the time. Yeah, do, he is. Do you know why he's eating oranges all the time? Uh cuz it shows that he is a richie rich. Mm, yeah, kind of. Cuz they're from Florida. No, they're not. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I know something you don't know. He's wrong. No. Cuz he says they're from Florida. They may have been from Florida, but that's not the most important thing about oranges in the 1890s in Canada. What is the most important thing about oranges in 1890 Canada? And it may be that he's eating an orange and not a mandarin orange. That may be the difference. Okay. Because in the 1880s, there was a big influx of Japanese immigrants to Canada. Yes. And oranges, specifically mandarin or satsumas, as... Do Canadians call them satsumas? No. Or mandarin oranges? Mandarin. They're, they're an important part of New Year celebrations. Okay. So th- both Chinese and Japanese immigrants, I'm sorry, I meant Chinese immigrants, would get them sent from home 
Okay. From overseas. And then they became popular in Canada. So by the 1890s, there is a group called the Oppenheimer Group that is the biggest importer of mandarin oranges. Oh. And they become quite fashionable. Oh. So, yes, eating an orange might be saying I'm fashionable, but it also says I'm hip. Yeah. Because they became super popular. And specifically, mandarin oranges or Satsumas became popular because they were easy to peel. Yeah, he has to and use that made a them knife fancy. to peel them. But he's also just bad at peeling oranges. He is also extremely bad at peeling oranges. Yeah, And awkward. the other thing is, like, generally you don't see these things in actors' hands because what happens is you have to film these scenes multiple times. Right. And if you're at a different... You, like... The, the orange can't peel and then unpeel. Right. It looks bad. Yeah. Because the cuts. You need the continuity come, yeah. of the orange, orange being peeled. Yeah. To be consistent. Right. But th- it was funny. Sarah said, why is he all about the oranges? And I was like, it's clearly a plot point. I was clearly wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you remembered something that uh, wasn't there. That did not exist. I love that when Crabtree goes to see Edna out of uniform, he says he's there to see the dog. Okay. Charming George is charming is a reoccurring theme in this show, mm-hmm. and I love it every single time. Because Johnny Harris, who plays Crabtree, is awesome. Okay, Johnny Harris, if you don't know... Okay, so for our American friends, or our international friends also, Johnny Harris, actor on as, on Murdoch... As is Crabtree. a national treasure of yep. Canada. He's a national treasure. But he also has a second show... Called in, Still Standing. In which he goes and does stand-up in little communities in Canada to revitalize those communities and bring awareness to what's going on in those communities, both indigenous communities, French communities, maritime communities, all these different communities. Places where something has changed that has caused the city, town, village, whatever, to be less prosperous than it used to be, but they are struggling and succeeding at coming back. He goes and he interviews a bunch of people and he learns all about what they do and he's just so funny and then he every episode ends with him doing a stand up like routine a local just stand-up. for that yeah. audience and yeah. he is never i'm a famous person never, never condescending no. never he comes he is incredibly genuine yeah then you see him in the republic of doyle and that's a brand new johnny <laughs> he's playing like a like a greasy sleazy guy yes. right but if you haven't seen still standing you give it a Google. It's so good. You just want to like hug it. Yeah. Anyhow. Also, Johnny Harris has sold his soul to the devil because he, he doesn't age. He does not age. No, not at all. Not at all. So he takes Edna out. Well, he takes the dog, Violet, yes. out. And yeah. Edna's allowed to come too. Yes. And this is when they stay out too late. Yes. And they have to sneak in the window. <laughs> and uh, they're married now. But he finds the electrical schematic in her room Yes, when he's nosing around, putting things away that he's knocked over while climbing through the window. And so he's got to turn her he, in. Yep. Mm. I love how she's like, I got a few demerits already. I'm like, yeah, you do. Yeah. <laughs> if she stays out late again, she's going to get kicked out by her landlady. She's like, come on in. He's like, for what? <laughs> <laughs> do, do you mean Violet would like me to come in? Yes. Oh, okay, Violet. Tummy rubs time. Meanwhile, at the police station, (laughs) weirdness happens. There's a newspaper here that Bracken Reed brings in. Oh, with the stock prices on it? With the stock prices on it. On the front page, it says something about powered by girls' death. 
What? Which is weird. <laughs> what could possibly be it powered flew by, by a girl's death? really quickly. Flew by. <laughs> that really. makes you wonder, right? Yes, the Toronto Stock Exchange existed at this time. Yes, uh, though none of those stocks are actual stocks of anything. I looked them all up. Mm -hmm. If you're in Toronto, you should go buy uh, the old stock exchange, which is now a bank. It used to be in the in the 80s and 90s. It was this place called the Design Exchange, which is it's just one another beautiful Art Deco building downtown in Toronto. But this is Brackenridge showing his cosmopolitanness and right his, that he knows about stocks and very much his follow the money. Yeah, if you're gonna get to a point in an episode where you don't know where to go, Bracken Reed's going to show up and say, follow the money. Bracken Reed, played by Thomas Craig, yes. who is excellent who in this else? role. We love everybody in this oh, show. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's also been in like over 100 episodes of Coronation Street. He was. Like the oldest soap opera in England. Yep. In which he played the patriarch of a family with a dark secret. Oh. They move on to the street and nobody knows their history. And the truth is that they're there because they're in the witness protection program. So you move them to the middle of London? Basically, oh, yes. Okay. And then his character, 100 episodes later, gets killed off when his own daughter, the kid, the character who plays his, his daughter, daughter. Uh, kills him. Oh, yeah. I think he probably likes Canada much better. <laughs> He's great in this. Oh, he's but, fantastic. Wow. To see him in Coronation Street, he, he I mean, he's not quite the diamond geezer, he's, but he's close. He's a bit of a diamond geezer. He's, he's got a lot of hair gel yeah. and a little gold chain on all the yeah. time, you know. <laughs> not saying me old mucker very often. We're going to have to come up with a, a term for the, the Bracken Reed isms. Yep. Me old mucker. Me old mucker. Bugalug. Those are really bad, by the way. Did you? Yeah, those are mm. quite offensive swear words at this point in time. So, but they're not to us. No. So I went looking them up. Okay. Because um, you know how I am with the Oxford English Dictionary. Yes. It's my best friend. Yep. Me old mucker is not in there. No. But muck and mucker yeah. are in there. And they they change meaning quite a bit. But in the time just before this is set, muck, of course already meant mud or manure. Yeah, I would think it was manure. And like in the 1860s or so, mucker becomes somebody who ruins things or bungles things up. Okay. But by the 1920s, okay. you can change that M out for an F. Oh. And that's what it means. Nice. And that's a word we don't say on this we podcast. We don't say that word on this podcast. So yeah, it's a term of endearment, but it's not flattering. No. It's like me old person who rakes manure out of the shed guy. Yeah. And Bugalug is an annoying or foolish person, which kind of is what you think, yeah. right? Now, Crabtree has a Bracken Reedism in this episode. Oh, friggin' and jiggin'. Where he says somebody is friggin' and jiggin'. Yep. And what context does he say that in? Um, I forget. He's talking about somebody like killing time and like yeah. just being like goofing around. Yeah. <laughs> Again, the phrase as a whole is not in the OED, but these two these two terms friggin separately and jiggin. Uh huh. Uh -huh. Okay. Well, um, friggin is definitely well known as a mom's around, so I have to say friggin. <laughs> no, it's not. That's not in the 1890s. Frigging was masturbating. Oh, period. Okay. That's what it meant. Okay. And jigging is herky jerky, pointless dancing, nervous movement. 
right? So I hope there wasn't friggin' and chicken. What Crabtree's saying this guy's doing is, you know, not for grandma's ears. No. Unless you had a grandma like mine. She was she would have topped it, probably, if we'd said that in front of her. But yeah. They're not exactly clean and tidy. I wouldn't say that at work. So there's a money red herring subplot here kind of thing. And Murdoch goes to see Tesla, but Tesla's not there. Tesla's on the phone. But the camera still spins. Yes. (laughs) He's at the Grand Hotel. The Grand. The Grand Hotel. I couldn't find an actual location of said hotel in Toronto. There's currently a Grand Hotel in Toronto, and we know this because we stayed there. We stayed there, but it's kind of a generic name. Yeah. Yeah, and this this money trail is that Dodd deposited $20,000, Canadian dollars, into his bank account. And we learned that his annual income, his salary, is only $300. Which is incredible, huge amounts of money. No, it's not. Okay. Okay? So I I looked this up on the Canadian um, uh, inflation calculator. Okay. And in 1895, $300 a year in today's money would only be 10 grand. Oh, that's not much at all. It's not. No. I almost feel like it's a mistake. Yeah. Because the twenty thousand yeah. is seven hundred and twelve thousand dollars. Like that's now. what I mean. Like that's the twenty thousand is a huge amount of money. But the three hundred dollars a year feels wrong. It doesn't feel like enough for this time frame for somebody of his importance. Yeah, you know I what can I mean. Understand that because he's in charge of the unless. His appointment as the lighting commissioner is kind of like he's a city councilor. Like, you've got your day job where you actually make your money, and this is just your salary for this kind of committee appointment in the city. And so maybe it's just the extra money he makes from that job. That would make sense, maybe. Maybe. He puts a gun to Murdoch's head. Yeah. It's just a burden gun. (laughs) I don't care what it is. It's scary. That is scary. It's it's scary, and you don't know who he is, and you don't know. Never what's mind going. that Dodd looks like he hasn't slept in a month. Yeah, he's kind of. He's got the dark bags under his eyes, yeah. and just he's his hair is long and disheveled. Kind of, he just looks scary. He looks like somebody who would shoot you. That's uh, yeah, it's scary. They go and talk to Pratt. No, Pratt's dead now. No, they go to talk to him mm-hmm. in the, after Dodds pulls the gun on. Murdoch, mm-hmm. and it's in the middle of the night, and it allows Bracken Reed to make salacious innuendo jokes <laughs> about why he's at work. Yep. Yeah. And then because his dead. wife says he's still at the office. Mm-hmm. Now, folks, one of our traits is we look at these. If you're people, new, if, if, if you're new, <laughs> we're connoisseurs of corpse acting. We are connoisseurs of corpse <laughs> acting. <laughs> Because it's got to be hard. The longer the shot is, yep. the longer you have to stay absolutely still, show no signs of breathing. <laughs> and David Hubbin, who plays Pratt here, does a very good job. does a pretty body. good job. He He's pretty- been electrocuted by his phone. Yes. Because, you know, those newfangled phones are dangerous. This is another thing that we do often. Phones don't work like that. No. <laughs> I worked in the telephone industry in Canada. Not even back then. Not even back then. It's not how phones work. Now. Could not have happened. <laughs> if somebody has wired up the phone with electrical wiring, it would. But, but the phone's wiring But it, it would have it. taken a few hours. And like, where was he? And... Oh, now you're just being picky. I'm just being picky. Hey, he's going to put one into his mouth and one into his ear, and it's going to pass the current right through his head. George is charming, and George does the right thing. 
And George does the right thing here. He gives up his brand new girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. He's like, well, I know I snuck into her house. And that makes us kind of married now. But I think uh, she's a bad person. Yes. Here's the evidence I found that I didn't want to have to give you, but I have to give you now. And in, a, in an episode that's full of oranges, Murdoch's chewing on that apple. <laughs> There's like one sound bite that is like. <laughs> It's like ASMR. <laughs> and we get the flashback and the, the flashback music is the first time. We'll see this oh, yeah. flashback. That's a that's scene a Murdoch trope. And flashback music. This is definitely It's and, also the um Murdoch brainstorm flashback figuring thing. Denouement out. thing. Like yep. he has like a brain rush where he goes, <gasps> Yeah, I just put all the pieces together. And he, he's learned through his flashback. That with the help of Tesla and Fox, he can create Chekhov's audio transmitter. Because <laughs> the whole time, you know, they're like, he and Tesla are like, wink, wink, nod, nod. Yep. We could send things wirely. We could, you know, basically bug somebody's office and it listen. Could be television. <laughs> yeah, television. I my favorite part of those is the the other names they come up with first because yes. they're always so they're, stupid they're always wrong and then it's like oh but sometimes television. sometimes they'll go television and then they'll, they'll go, go no, no one will no, ever no, no. do that no <laughs> we'll call it ocular entertainment yes that's much better so um, taking this giant thirty five pound case with giant rabbit ears like Dodds is. Stupid. Stupid not yes. to go, what the heck is that? I'm not getting anywhere near it, you know? But Fox tricks him. He plays it off. Yep. He says, it's incredibly convenient. I'll tell you <laughs> I'll tell you what kind of podcast this is, folks. Little Miss Muffet was known, would have been known, and would have been well known at this point in time. I check stuff like that. Because? Because it was released as a- No, no, no. Because they mentioned Little Miss Muffet? Yeah. He, he says Little Miss Muffet. Oh, that's right. And then it's recorded and played back it. to him. That's how they prove that it can receive. So now it gets it gets a little muddy here at the end. But Pratt actually did kill Dodds. Yes. So Pratt kills Dodds because he's taking bribery money from the other side. Well, this is what complicates it, is that there's two killers, right? Yes. Because Fox kills Alice- Yes. But, but Dodds kills Pratt. And they do this denouement where you think everything's fine, but luckily Julia's been going around in Dodds' balls and <laughs> finds out that he can't have children. It sounds like a horrible accident that oh he had. Oh, my gosh. And it's Pratt's balls, by the way, not well, Dodds' balls. It's not Dodds' balls. It's Pratt's balls. <laughs> That sounds like games you play as a kid. Yes. He had some kind of accident as a kid. Can that, like, Johnny come out and play Pratt's balls? <laughs> I think that's what he was doing when this happened. Because it was when he was a kid and he like broke his, his pelvis, pelvis oh. in such a way that it made him infertile. Like, oh, wow. Ow. Yes. Dude, I'm impressed he could have an affair with anybody. Yeah. Those oranges may be like the best thing he could fondle. <laughs> That's why he likes oranges. <laughs> oh, what I used to have. Hmm. <laughs> I would think he would like Satsumas better if that was the case. I Mandarins <laughs> are much the right, much more the right size. <laughs> the navel orange is way too big. This is why you come to this podcast. This is why we say discussion of testicles and oranges. And, and we, we try to keep it friendly, but then, so Dodds confesses, but then we find out that Pratt was sterile. Don't. Yes. 
Yep. So he can't be the father of Alice's baby. And we so who is the father of Alice's baby? Fox. Fox. And we have the first voice witness and the first appearance of the thing that causes us so much consternation on this show. The I'm not looking at you, I'm looking at you screen. Why can't you just see me? I'm looking at you screen. <laughs> the interrogation room. Which Where, is usually one two-way glass. Two-way glass has not been invented yet. Yes. So they have this. One-way glass. Sorry. One, sorry, one-way glass. Yeah, two-way glass <laughs> has two-way. definitely been invented. <laughs> <laughs> we can make all these beautiful windows, but we can only see them in one direction. Wouldn't that be useful in interrogation? No, put up a screen. No. So they have this screen that in no way hides the person standing on the other side of it. And they usually don't even put the the suspects back that yes. direction, right? So they're facing it. And whoever's supposed to be listening in is just standing there looming now, in the screen. I don't know if this is historically accurate. I like to think they try to be historically accurate. Yes, but they give up in for the story. Yes. Right? And this this room we see again and again. It's the and, interrogation room. Yeah. Yeah. But it is it is always bothered. <laughs> <laughs> well, because they pretend they don't see them. Yeah. That's what bothers me. It's like, like like sometimes the suspect says something confidential to the person interrogating them. Yes. Thinking that this is just between the two of us. When you clearly could see somebody. And Bracken Reed is standing there with his face pressed against the screen. <laughs> you can't see me. You can't see me, Bungalog. I'm not here, you mucker. <laughs> you know, like, he's right there. It's it's a funny trope yep. because it bugs us. And we're like, yep. oh, here it comes. Yep. Tesla's in New York. Case closed. <laughs> he just abandons his lab. It's like. You don't lock the door. If you just put sheets over things, nobody will touch it. It'll be fine. It's Canada. Nobody touches your stuff, apparently. Tesla was here. Don't touch my stuff. If you do, say sorry. Yes. So Fox killed Alice in front of a bunch of people because he was having an affair with her. And that would have messed up his wealthy marriage that he was going to have. And he couldn't have thought of another way to kill her? All of the other ways he could have done it. He's monstrous. He is absolutely monstrous. He undermines the purpose of the demonstration yes the perp like the whole like business argument that they're trying to make he undermines just to take out his mistress so she doesn't mess up his marriage to the richie lady i promise not to harp on this over and over again but once again american (laughs) (laughs) yes he's an american so obviously slightly sus devious and money hungry sus money hungry slightly stupid Stupid? Not stupid. Sneaky. Sneaky. Slightly sneaky. So earlier in the episode, they mentioned that an alarm has gone off at the warehouse. I think that's where the jigging and frigging happens. Yes, I think so. It's a bunch of ladies, too. And I was like, was there alarm? That kind of alarm system back then? And Mm. there was back to the 1850s. Oh, really? There were electric alarms. This guy named Augustus Pope in Massachusetts invented an alarm that uh, it was battery operated and you had to install one on each window, each door. They weren't like networked together, Yeah, but it worked. And oh, he, cool. manu- he manufactured them, but he couldn't make a bunch of money because it wasn't practical to not have them connected together, you know? Uh, okay. So he sold the patent to Edwin Holmes, who just happened to become the president of Bell Telephone later. Oh. Um, and uh, 
made a whole bunch of money off of it. Yes, I would imagine. That's okay. right below my note that says Niagara. <laughs> now that we're finished the episode, we have a couple of things we do at the end of each episode. The first thing we do is best corpse. Mm-hmm. So we look at the people who have died in the episode and how well of dead body actors they are. So either who plays a dead body better. Yes. Or whose dead body acting is more difficult. Yes. (laughs) Right. Now, having covered all of Midsummer, we have a a plethora of dead body acting. Challenging corpse acting. Yes. Yes. So here we've got Alice, who's been electrocuted, and then we've got Pratt, who's been electrocuted. Which of them is a better corpse to you? Well, first of all, they don't have much body damage except for some scarring on their hands, right? There's no blood or anything like that in this episode. Do we even see Alice in the coroner's office? We see pictures of her, but we don't see her in the corner. But we do see Pratt there. But we see Pratt there. So he's got to play a corpse there too. Yeah. With the Y incision and everything. I think it's Pratt with the corpse in the coroner's office, plus in the chair, I think he does the best yeah, job. Yeah, I'm going to give it to Pratt, Plus too. he rises from the dead to return later on in other <laughs> yes. episodes. The second thing we do at the end of the episode is we talk about what would happen after the credits. If this particular episode were to continue, what would happen, especially to all the secondary and characters? This is not the main characters. No. We're not going to spoil what happens to Murdoch or Yeah, we know like that it. Nikola Tesla has, has gone to, where is he, New York? Yes. So he's in New York and he's going to work with Westinghouse on Niagara Falls and all that stuff. Yes. What's Edna going to do? She's going to have a whole life because she comes back later too. She comes back later. So let's drop her. Uh, Petunia is going to find a new roommate. Yeah. (laughs) Poor Petunia. She's like, Alice had a lot of man friends. I guess I need to find another roommate. And in a a regular theme, especially in this first season, Dodd's wife and Pratt's wife who are not appear in the episode, Mm -hmm. but they're left with a lot of problems because of what these men did. Yes. Pratt's dead, so his wife has got to figure out what to do. And he comes out that he had an affair. Yes. And had Satsuma balls. (laughs) (laughs) She probably knew that. She probably did. I would hope that they were close enough that she I would think so. Dodd's going to go to prison. Yeah. Fox is going to go to prison. Is he going to be... He committed the crime in Canada... So he wouldn't be extradited to the United States, right? No. And uh, Canada, this comes up later on. They would have kept him there. So he would have done his time. Yeah. In Kingston, where all prisons are in Canada. Did they have the death penalty there? Uh, They would have had the death penalty hanging for... Uh, murder at this time. Oh, so they're going to go to the rope. Maybe he goes to the noose. The noose. Yep. Him and Dodds. The very last thing we do, sometimes, we don't do it in every episode, but sometimes, if you're lucky. If you're lucky. We do a a section called, That's a Horrible Movie, I Bet Mark's Seen It. Now, we have to introduce this section because (laughs) I've watched a lot of bad movies. Oh my gosh, you are all so fortunate that you don't share a Netflix account with this man because, wow, the recommendations are just so stupid because he watches horrible movies while he works. Yep. Movies that you and I would never, ever watch. Yep. So chances are, if I find a bad movie that one of the actors who's in the episode was unfortunate enough to decide to be in. Yes. Prior to being in the thing that we're talking about, usually, I try to make him guess so what the movie is. I'm, I'm better at 70s and 80s movies. This is co- probably going to be 90s movies, both of these. No. 
Oh, okay. I've got a 2000s movie and an 80s movie. Ooh, so I have a, I have a good You've chance. You've got a chance. Yeah. Yep. You've got a chance. Okay. okay, so the first horrible movie has Helene Joy in it, who okay. plays Julia Ogden. Who is Australian and does a wicked good accent. Yes, she does. Really good. Look, look up an interview with Helene Joy. She is Aussie to the core, and you yeah. would never know it. No. Great accent. Never know. The tagline of this movie is, can you stomach it? Oh. Okay. <laughs> Here's the synopsis. Let's see if you can guess. This movie's from 2005. Okay. So she's made this bad choice recently. Oh, yes. <laughs> Sorry, Aline. An Interpol cop from Sydney, who has his own demons, pursues a man in the United States who liberates women from the cultural norms of thinness by feeding them to gross weights. He also shows their photographs to internet subscribers. What else is he up to? The Aussie cop suspects murder or worse. The cop, Philip Jackson, and his mark, Michael Metzenkampf, are in a game of cat and mouse. But which is the cat? Wow, this sounds horrifically bad and i have not seen this movie it's called feed feed okay i do not recommend watching it i'll throw the movie poster in the show notes just from the screenshots on imdb i am a little bit traumatized we're not recommending this movie no 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 the second movie is much more fun okay excellent (laughs) it's from 1987 okay and A.C. Peterson is in it, who plays Dodd. Okay. The, the creepy guy with the gun. Yeah. Okay. Um, the tagline, always use the right tool for the job. Okay. Ah, this synopsis is just golden. Yes. Are you ready? Yeah. A man is out to kill a bunch of ultimate hillbillies who killed his innocent mother and the mother of their kids in a car that was then destroyed and pushed into a ditch. Now he wants revenge. So he builds a massive monster truck known as the name of the movie. So Ned Beatty's in it. Ned Ned Beatty's in this movie. I, I it's not Killdozer. No. But it's something like that. Uh it's quite the monster truck he builds, by the way, to go after these hillbillies. Oh, the ultimate hillbillies. The ultimate hillbillies. <laughs> I may have seen this movie, I think probably just a poster, or it's 87, <laughs> The Box, in a video store. Uh-huh. What's it called? <sighs> oh, the smoke's coming out of his ears. He's trying. It is called Rolling Vengeance. Rolling Vengeance. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Wow, I have not seen this movie, but I definitely saw a poster or a box for that movie. It's, wow. Wow. (laughs) Oh, I'm two for two. Nice, good start. Two points to me. So, you're all maniacs now. Welcome to the maniacs, or thanks for staying maniacs. Yes. Uh, You can find Mystery Maniacs on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, email. We have our own Facebook page. We have our own Reddit, subreddit. Mm -hmm. If you're on any of those places, you can find our uh, location in the show notes or just put Mystery Maniacs in your search box. Yep. We also have a uh, merch site where we sell some t-shirts and aprons and bags and stuff and all the proceeds go to charity. Now, what we mean by that is we don't make a lot off this stuff because we use Spreadshirt. Yeah. But they pack, they print it and package it and sell it. So, yep. Um, but what we do make, we usually contribute a little bit more to. We match it and donate it every six months. Every six months to a cause. I was thinking maybe we'd do it for some turkey charities. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, this time, because we're we've been on a little two week thigh hiatus, and now we're starting a new phase. Yep. 
This episode comes out on the 20th of February, and the next episode will be on the 27th of February. We drop at 9 a.m. on Monday mornings every single Eastern week. time. Eastern time. So our next episode will be Murdoch Season 1, Episode 2. The Glass Ceiling, which yes. is an episode I forget how good it is. Yeah. All the Season 1 episodes, yep. I forget how good they are. They're yep. all awesome. Uh, we will be covering that on the 27th of February and then on into more of Season 1. Yes. Uh, another thing that we announced on our, our last announcement podcast, uh, we will be having a midsummer pub trivia, virtual pub trivia night sometime in March yep. where we do a live episode. And the last episode of this season of Murdoch on Mars <laughs> yes, <laughs> with Martians, we will do a live episode for that. So that means we record live and broadcast it on YouTube and Facebook. And I'm, you can join us and, and join in the chat and we have lots of fun. And we have lots of fun. So. All right. So until then. Bye, maniacs. Bye, maniacs. should have said it i should have looked it up what is the oh yeah show not foil not law not murphy's law doyle's doyle republic of doyle